the Lord for a day. 24 years ago, in a couple of weeks, when I ran out of that grave. Take your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 14. We'll uh, look at the first 11 verses there. When love becomes a sacrifice. Think for just a minute about the most extravagant gift that anyone has ever given you in your life. Outside of your salvation. The most extravagant gift that anyone has ever given you in your life. Thinking about it, some of you, it may have been some jewelry, it may have been a, a, a car, it may have been, I, I, don't, um, I don't know exactly, um, extravagant at our house is, uh, the, down at WM, they have these uh, chocolate chip birthday cookies. Y'all seen them, the birthday cookie cakes? And I would go in there, I, I, I was going in there all the time, and I'd buy a birthday, I'd buy one of those birthday cookies, and I'd take it to the cash register, and I'd pay for it. And one of the cashiers asked me, she said, you must know a lot of people who have birthdays. And I said, well, not really. I said, we just like these at our house, and I just buy them. And she looked back at me like, there's probably some child that was going to have a birthday cookie cake, and you bought it and took it home for you people to eat, and they didn't have it. And so I, I just started going to Walmart and getting them. <laughs> Let me tell you some examples of some extravagant gifts. I looked. And um, I tried to find the most extravagant gifts that you could buy another person if you wanted to. Dolce & Gabbana DG 2027B sunglasses are solid gold frame. And you can get those for the low price of $383,609. I don't want to see a FedEx package at our house with those sunglasses. You can have a custom kitchen by Marazzi Designs of Italy, they will come and design your kitchen for $463,625. It's so big I can't even see it. I could have had a cardboard cutout of a stove in our house and it would have done breathe just as good. So, uh. <laughs> Boy, after a while... Oh, a man named Roman Abramovich owns a 485 million giga yacht called the Eclipse. 485 million dollar yacht. Don't feel left out. For two million dollars a week, you can rent his yacht. And for you dog lovers, there is an Amore Amore dog collar that is listed for 3.2 million dollars. So those are some uh, extravagant gifts that if you want to purchase for someone, you can, you can have that. In Mark chapter 14, there's a woman named Mary. We know her name is Mary from the accounts of other gospels. But she gives the most expensive gift that anyone could give to Jesus at this time, right before his crucifixion. She anoints his body for burial. And her gift causes great controversy among the disciples, and it opens the door for Satan to push Judas to the greatest betrayal that will ever be in history. Mark 14 is focusing on the betrayal of Jesus by one of his closest associates, Judas. The celebration of the Passover anticipate his impending 
substitutionary death for us on the cross. And his arrest is the first step toward that end. Let's read these 11 verses together so that we understand what we're talking about a little better this morning. It was now two days before the Passover and the feast of the unleavened bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her, but Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, whatever the gospel, whenever the go- wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. We see, first of all, this act of love by Mary is made public here in a, in a public setting. The ver- reference here in verse number 1 to the upcoming Passover feast shows the urgency of the people who want to eradicate Jesus and the following that Jesus has. Jesus has become wildly popular among the people. This uh, story here falls on the heels of the uh, triumphal entry story. Jesus has gone in and they're crying out, Hosanna to the king. Uh, and, And the people are just wildly in love with him at that moment. And the chief priests and the scribes, the Sanhedrin council, they see this and they know that they have to stop this move that Jesus has among him. And so they begin to, uh, one, one version will say in a very treacherous way, they begin to look for a way to kill Jesus. They begin to plot to kill him, but they want to avoid the large crowd that will be around him. You see, J- Jerusalem is a city of a massive population. And during the Passover, it will double, it will more than double in size. And there will be a great crowd of people there. And they want to wait until this crowd is gone before they take Jesus. The Jewish feast of the Passover in Jerusalem is a a time of Thanksgiving where thousands, hundreds of thousands of people come in and they give Thanksgiving for God's miraculous deliverance of the Hebrews from the Egyptian slavery. It's kind of like their Jewish Independence Day. And there on that Jewish Independence Day, there will be thousands of lambs that will be slaughtered to re- and, and sacrificed as, as, a, as a way of remembering that the, the blood on the doorpost 1,400 years earlier caused the death angel to pass over those homes where he saw it and he spared the lives of the firstborn of those families. Now, they're waiting to arrest and kill Jesus and... They, they want to do this after the Passover, but God has a perfect timetable. God has a timetable for this to happen, and it has to happen during the Passover. Paul would say later in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, 
For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So here we are at the home of Simon of Bethany. It's six days before the Passover. Simon is a man that Jesus has healed of leprosy. And there, the lady in this account is Mary. She's the sister of Martha and Lazarus, who we know from other accounts. And in verse number 3, she comes into the room, and as Jesus is reclining at table, she comes in with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard that's very costly, and she breaks it and pours it over his head. Now this aromatic pure nard oil is from an Indian or Arabian root. It's very hard to get. It's very hard to come by. I, I, in my mind, I figure that Mary is probably not a very wealthy person. She's probably just a person of average means. And this probably cost her, she probably had to save for this for a long time. And what the scriptures tell us in other gospel accounts is that this was, was, was been about 300 days wages for a laborer in the area of Palestine. So what she does there when she breaks this flask, once she opens it, it has to be used. And as she pours that over Jesus' head and over his feet, it's no longer usable for any other thing but to anoint him. And then she wipes his feet with her hair. You see, Mary took the most expensive thing that she possessed. She took the greatest treasure that she had, and she let everybody who was there in the room know that there was nothing as important in her life as Jesus Christ. And as she does this, we see that this great act of love is criticized. During the very act of worship, while she is worshiping Jesus, while she is at the feet of Jesus, and she has gone to this great length to worship him, there are others who are standing around and they're criticizing her. Some of the disciples led by Judas, it, the Bible says they're indignant. Ig, in, yes, that's the word. What it means is they're real mad. They're furious. Because they look at this and they say, this is a great waste. This money could have been taken and she, it could have been taken and given to the poor. And I wonder, as I'm reading these scriptures, and I was sitting reading them again a couple of times this week, I wonder if these men know, if they had known of the sacrifice that Jesus is about to make for them in a few days, would they have really responded this way? They weren't in tune with what was happening here. Their response actually says this. Their response actually says that Jesus is not worth the great sacrifice that Mary has just made for him. Jesus is not worthy of this. He's not worthy of such an extravagant display of love. But here's what Mary, Mary is willing to be poor in her possessions because she was rich in her devotion to Jesus. It didn't matter to Mary that she had given her greatest possession, her most costly possession, her, she was rich because she was in such a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, people who are not willing to live in such a way are usually critical of those who do. It goes against the grain of American culture for us to give up possessions and for us to give up riches and for us to give up those things that are most important to us to, to sacrifice and follow after Jesus. Mary, this is about Mary's character. Mary could have never been satisfied in her soul and in her heart. She could have never been satisfied if she had a small devotion to Jesus. 
What, what had she witnessed Jesus do there in her family? We suspect that Simon the leper is her father. Jesus has healed him of leprosy. What did Jesus do for her brother Lazarus? He brought it, he raised him when they were singing that song, and I ran out of that grave. Lazarus actually had experienced that. Lazarus had heard the voice of Jesus. When Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, it was a personal invitation to him to step up and to run out of that grave. And Mary had witnessed this. Mary knew the power and the authority of Jesus, but greater than that, she knew the compassion and love of Jesus. And he had done these wonderful things in her family, and she wanted to give him an outpouring of affection. And she, she, she could not have been satisfied by giving a little bit to Jesus. She had to give the most important thing that she had. You see, the church today has little or no problem with too many possessions and a pursuit of a comfortable and convenient Christianity. But Mary couldn't live that way. I think about the examples of people who've given everything that they have for the gospel. This past week, a couple, Randy and Kathy Arnett, had been on the ground in the Congo for three decades. They had been reaching, um, they had been going after unreached people groups in the Congo for three decades. The work that they have done there has taught so many other missionaries in, in the International Mission Board and, and throughout Southern Baptist life, the work that they have done for these past three decades have taught us so much about how when you go in and you find a people group that has never heard about Jesus, how to, how to talk to those people, how to give those people uh, the gospel in a way that is not offensive to them. They've written extensively in their life on how to do this. I can imagine these are two of the most educated people that you would ever know. And I can imagine that when they told their families we're going to give our lives to the people of the continent of Africa and especially in the Congo. And we're going to give the rest of our lives to these people. And we're going to teach and preach the Jesus there to those people. And we're going to try to win as many people as we can there and plant churches. I can imagine that their families told them that they were insane, that they were crazy. This past week, Randy and Kathy Barnett lost their lives in an automobile accident in the Congo. And I can just imagine that as they lived here that last day and as their souls departed their body, do you think that they thought for one minute we've, we've wasted the last 30 years of our life? Do you think that for one moment when, they, when their souls entered into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, they're immediately them together, do you think that when they met Jesus Christ for that first time, they thought, you know, with our education, we could have done much better and we could have been wealthy and we could have done a lot of great things? Absolutely not. Because here's what they heard. Well done, good and faithful servants. And, and it, everything that they had done. They walked away from the American dream and they spent three decades on the field there. I think about it in my own personal experience. When we first began to do mission trips here in our church with youth groups, um, Back uh, around 2004, 2005, we, just started, we decided to start going places and doing missions and spending uh, parts of our summer doing those things. And, and we went, the very first place that we, we started going was New Orleans. 
And I can remember having parents of, of youth who were here all the time. And I had parents of youth who, who would tell their children, I re- you don't need to go there. You don't need to be in New Orleans. New Orleans is not a place where you need to be. New Orleans is not a safe place. New Orleans is not, you don't need to go there. I have had, I have had parents who offered to take their children on vacations during that week just to keep them from going to do missions in New Orleans. But those kids who went, I can, I can look at the, I can remember the faces of that first 14 people that we took on a mission trip to New Orleans. And I can remember that every one of those people had changed their life. And I can, and I can tell you now that those 14 people are probably, every one of them are somewhere sitting in a church this morning and probably, uh, uh, Probably ten, at least 10 of them still go on mission trips every year and still go and serve somewhere because they were willing to give up a week and willing to give up something and sacrifice something. And, and I can remember hearing their parents, parents and grandparents telling their kids this, you can help people here in Piedmont every day. You can go, you can go, you can find people here in Piedmont that need help. And I'd think about that statement and I said, yeah. I, I see mama and dad and grandma, I see them everywhere, every day out helping people. Yeah, let's, let's, let's continue to follow, follow that example. But I see the lives that were changed. Paul had it in perfect perspective. In Galatians 1.10, he said, For am I trying to win the favor of people or God? Or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a slave of Christ. I saw an interview with Billy Graham uh, this past week after, after Dr. Graham's funeral. And they talked about one of the sections there in the interview. He talked about how he was gone away from his wife and children, sometimes for seven months at a time, while he was gone in foreign countries preaching the gospel. I can't imagine being separated from my family for seven months at a time. But he talked about how there, how God had given him so many uh, opportunities to come home and to be with his family. And he said this, I know that my wife and I know that all of my children will be there with me in heaven and we'll have eternity together and it won't matter there anymore. What a wonderful attitude it, to, to know that she was criticized, but this act of love that she gave is still remembered today. We see there in verses 6 through 9, Jesus describes her actions not as wasteful, but as beautiful. She had anointed his body beforehand for burial. Jesus says again here, he tells the people who are around him, I am about to die, I'm about to to give my life, and and she has done what she is supposed to do. It's a beautiful thing that she has, has done. And he's trying to get the attention of the disciples to get them to understand she has anointed my body for burial do you understand that in a few days I'm going to die? And still they, they don't get it. Jesus wants the others to know how pleased he is with Mary. And Jesus speaks realistically here about the poor. The disciples, he, he's, he's not discouraging them from helping the poor. He's encouraging them to do good for the poor. But he's telling them there's not some great utopian dream that, every, that, that, that poverty is going to be eradicated there will always be a time for us to help the poor. But he said right now Mary is focused on what's most important and that is the salvation of mankind. 
There will never be a time without poor people on this present earth. And Jesus knows that, and he tells them, don't get so focused on, on what you think she's wasted. Think about the beautiful thing that she's done here. Now, we know Jesus' words are true because what are we talking about some 2,000 years later? We're talking about this wonderful act of sacrifice that Mary made there that morning for Jesus, or that afternoon for Jesus. She had done, what Jesus says here, she has done what she could. She held nothing back. Now, if you were here with me a few Sunday nights ago, I told this story, so don't fall asleep on me. Most of you weren't here, so I'm going to tell it again. Bear with me. I used to have a, it, it, if you had kids in the youth group for seven years, I can promise you they heard the same story at least two, three times. And I had one girl who would raise her hand and say, Michael, you told that story before. I said, yeah, but it was three years ago. Uh, some people didn't hear it. But Micah sent me a sermon not long ago from John Maxwell. And it was one of the most touching uh, sermons that I've ever heard. And there toward the end of that sermon, John Maxwell told a story about being a pastor in San Diego, California. And there was a Sunday morning where they were doing a capital campaign, a legacy offering. And he said it was just amazing how the people responded to this offering. They, he said it exceeded everything that he could imagine that morning, the money that they took in to, to, for the future of their church. And he said at the end of the service, as he was greeting people as they left, that a lady named Doris came up to him, and she handed him a crumpled envelope, and she put it in his hand, and she said, John, I didn't get to give my offering this morning. I wanted to be sure that I got it to you so that I could give it. And John Maxwell said these words to Doris. He said, I said, I said the, the worst thing that a pastor could ever say to anyone, he said, I placed the money back into her hand and said, Doris, you keep that money. You may need that money this week to live on. And she said, oh, no, pastor. She said, I have to give, and I want to be sure that my gift is taken. And so he took it, and he stuck it in his pocket, and he said it was all coins, and it was heavy. But he put it in his pocket, and he went home. And after he'd gone to lunch, he said, I'd never done this before, but I opened that envelope. And he said, there on the front of the envelope, she had written these words, this is all I have to give. And he opened that envelope and he poured it out there on his desk at home and there was $3.30. And he said he began to just feel so um, discouraged with himself because he had tried to get her not to give the offering. And so he said that night, he went back that Sunday evening they had a worship service, and he said that the Holy Spirit had just impressed him to share the story with the congregation there. And he said that he took that $3.30, and he took it and he poured it out in a, uh, uh, there in front of the congregation, and he told the story about what Doris had done and how she had given in the midst of the great money that was taken in this lady had given everything that she had. And he said, his head usher raised his hand. And he recognized him and he said, Brother John, he said, I'd like to buy one of those pennies. And John Maxwell was taken aback by just a moment 
And he said, John, I'd like to I'll give you $1,000 for one of those pennies. And he said, other hands begin to lift. And he's, they, they will begin to say, John, I'll give you $1,000 for one of those pennies. And he said, before they left that evening, that 330 people had written checks for $1,000 for each one of those pennies that was there in that offering envelope. $330,000 on one Sunday evening because one woman was obedient and gave everything that she had. You see, Mary here in, our, in, in the account that we have, she held nothing back. And because of it, we have her example today to look to of giving. Of giving everything that we have to the Lord Jesus Christ. Of not being comfortable with a small devotion. And not being comfortable with a small prayer life. And not being comfortable with a small quiet time. And not being comfortable with small giving. But giving extravagantly the way that this the way that Mary did here and it had a prophetic and symbolic significance Jesus said she anointed my body in advance for burial she had a greater insight to the coming passion of the Christ than the 12 disciples you see the 12 disciples were sitting around asking this question they were looking at each other saying what is this going to do what what could we have done with that money think about how this could have increased our budget Think if we would have had that money and we would have uh, that oil and we would have been able to sell it. Think of all the people that we could have helped and all the people who would follow us because of it. But Jesus said, Mary gave everything that she had. She anointed me from head to toe for burial. And, and can't you just imagine that as Jesus is going through the scourging, as Jesus is going through the beating, as Jesus is going to the cross, there's still that fragrant aroma that Mary has placed over him, and there's still that aroma that he can smell and that he knows that, that she has given all that she had for Jesus. And, and, and maybe for just a moment it brought him some, some satisfaction to his heart that during all this time here on earth, he has reached some people and they're willing to give everything that they had as he's going to a cross. And, and so her great act, Jesus, has prom Jesus, Jesus promises that her great sacrifice of love is never going to be forgotten as long as the gospel is preached. And we know that again this morning because of the gospel account. And this great act of love will lead to a great act of betrayal. Look at verses 10 and 11 as we finish. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they had heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. These, the Jewish authorities had given orders. We're going to kill Jesus. We want to do it as quietly as possible. We want to take him and we want to arrest him when no one is around. But we need somebody who's in his inner circle to let us know uh, a time where we can go and we can get him where there won't be a lot of people around. And Judas is just that person. And he, he can help them because he can get them to a place where there's no crowds present. And he can get them to a dark place where there's no lights. And he can hand Jesus over to them. You see, here's what Judas is doing. Judas is seeking to get all he can personally for Jesus. 
Judas is headed up to here with Jesus. Judas began to follow Jesus because he, he thought that Jesus was going to benefit him in the end. He saw these great crowds of people. He saw the authority that Jesus had. And he keeps thinking at some point Jesus is going to set himself up as king. And I'm going to get to be the treasurer of this kingdom. And I'm going to be wealthy because of it. How many places this morning will someone stand behind a pulpit and say, if you, and say come to Jesus this morning and this will be right in your life? Come to Jesus this morning and Jesus will straighten out your finances. Come to Jesus this morning and I promise Jesus will give you a happy marriage. Come to Jesus this morning and you'll have wonderful children. Show me where it says that here. All the, uh, Jesus said, come and take up your cross and follow me. I'm not making you any promises that you're going to be wealthy. I'm not making you any promises that your wife is going to be any better to you. I'm not making you any promises that your children are going to be perfect. But I'm making you a promise that I'll go with you through every bit of it. And I'll be there with you until the end. And I'm making you a promise that when the hard times come, I'll be there. And I'm making you a promise that when you don't have anything else in this world, you'll still have me. Doggone those people who are standing behind pulpits this morning and making those kind of promises just to draw a crowd. Well, Michael, does it discourage you? Does it discourage you when there's empty pews? Does it dis no, it doesn't. I have the most wonderful occupation in the world. I get to preach the gospel of Jesus. If there's five of you here, if there's 5,000 of you here, I'm not going to change it one iota. Not one bit. I'm going to preach the truth. I'm going to preach the way that it's written. And that's how we're going to do it. Until you get tired of me doing that, and then I'll preach down here at the gazebo. Some of you are longing for that day. <laughs> <laughs> Judas has self-centered motives in his relationship with the Lord and that's why this morning you see these great crowds of people pouring into churches this morning you see these, these fads that are going on these great crowds of people pouring in there listening and, and hearing and the, and the smoke machines and the flashing lights and all these things and hearing just a little while when, the, when their marriage is no better or when their children are no better, and they're not rich, they'll fall away from church completely. Because somebody didn't tell them the truth. Judas is self-centered. Here's Judas's mindset. I'm just going to use Jesus to get what I can. I don't care about these other 11 men. I don't care about anybody else. I care about using Jesus to get to where I want to go. Luke and John tell us that Satan moved Judas to betray Jesus. The other gospel accounts say that he sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Do you know what 30 pieces of silver, you know the significance of that? 30 pieces of silver was the law that Moses laid down. If you owned a slave and that slave got gored to death, then the person who owned that, that ox had to give you 30 pieces of silver. Judas sold Jesus as a slave. 30 pieces of silver. That's all that Judas got. What is the devil promising you this morning? What is the devil, what is the devil telling you that he'll give you in exchange for you not living for the Lord? In exchange for you taking a shortcut? 
in exchange for you doing things differently than what the scriptures say? What is the devil promising you this morning for, for that little flirtation that you may have going on in your life? Or that little, uh, or that little bit of cheating here uh, to, get, to get a little bit more? Because what did it cost Judas? It cost Judas eternity. Now look at the difference in Mary and Judas. Mary is a woman. She's a giver. Judas is a user. Mary has no standing in society. Judas is a prominent man in the circle of Jesus. He's one of the apostles. Mary gave what she could to Jesus. Judas took what he could get for Jesus. Mary blessed the Lord. Judas betrayed the Lord. Mary loved her Lord. Judas, Judas used his Lord. Mary did a beautiful thing. Judas did a terrible thing. Mary served him as her Savior. Judas sold him like he was his slave. Mary is notable forever for her devotion. Judas is notable forever for his betrayal. How many children you know named Mary? Lots. Probably a lot of y'all, your middle name is Mary. How many, how many people you know named Judas? Yet, in our world today, people still betray Jesus. People still betray Jesus. I sat in pews for years and years and years, listening to men pour out their hearts and pour out the gospel and preach the gospel in such a way that, that I would sit there and it was like my heart was going to bust inside. But Sunday morning after Sunday morning after Sunday morning, I would grip a pew and I would hold on to that pew and I would say, in effect, I'm Judas. I know what you did for me, Jesus. I know what you gave for me. I know you gave your life for me. I know you were my substitute. And grip it so hard and sweat so bad that I guarantee you I can take you and show you where the varnish is, 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 is different in some pews where I stood. Because I wouldn't let go. And I wouldn't be like Mary. And I wouldn't give the most important thing, my greatest possession, to Jesus. Because the greatest thing that I have that I can give to Jesus is my soul. The greatest possession I have, I don't, I, I, I had no, when, when I surrendered my life 24 years ago, in a couple of weeks, it'll be 24 years, when I surrendered my life to Jesus, I had no talents, I had no gifts, I had no abilities that anybody would have looked and said that I was anything special. I spent my money the way that the prodigal son, son spent his money on righteous living. I had no regard for my family. I had a lot of people around me, but I really, uh, I just, I used a lot of people. I had one thing that Jesus wanted, and that was my soul. And I can tell you that from the moment that I gave him my soul, 
it has been. And it, 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 I can't imagine if you would have taken me there that, that day and said, Michael, someday you're going to stand before a congregation and you're going to preach the gospel. Someday you're going to get to go uh, to foreign countries and, and preach the gospel. Someday you're going to get to teach Sunday school classes. Someday you're, someday you're going to get to go and lead people to Jesus. I was just, at that moment, I was just glad I wasn't going to hell. I had no idea that he was going to bless me with all these things. And I can tell you that when, when he called me to preach, Bree and I would leave our, our little apartment or, or our house when we first bought our house. We would leave there some mornings. And we were just, we were so broke we couldn't pay attention. But we were obedient. We were obedient and God began to bless us and God began to move in our life and God began to, 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 to bless our lives until he's brought us here to this point. There have been hard times. There have been bad times. There are struggles that still go on in our lives today. But we, we, we walk with the Lord and we give those struggles to the Lord and we ask the Lord to help us get through those things and we make it day by day by day. And someday, I'll take my last... I told a group of men at a, um, at a brotherhood breakfast this morning, I figure I've got about 50 more years to live. That's my estimation. If I make another one of those uh, stove comments, it may not be quite as long. <clears throat> but I have to decide, what am I going to do with those? What am I going to do with those years? How am I going to live those years? How am I going to finish well? This morning, there are people sitting in this congregation, and you have never given that most important possession, the greatest possession that you have. You've never given your soul. To the Lord Jesus Christ. You've never been sealed by the Holy Spirit for eternity to be with Jesus. Right now is the time. We remember Mary today, 2,000 years later, for, for what she did for Jesus. Someday in heaven, you'll remember for eternity how you spent this moment. Someday you may remember it in heaven. Someday you may in eternity remember it separated from Jesus, separated from the love of God for eternity in a place called hell. You have to make that decision this morning. I've done what God asked me to do. The Holy Spirit obviously moved on Mary to anoint Jesus' body for burial. The Holy Spirit has moved me to the point this morning to give you an opportunity to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. My part is done. It's between you and the Holy Spirit of God this morning for you to make that decision. What will you do? How will you remember this moment in eternity? I can't wait to meet Mary and get to, for her to explain to me and tell me about what happened that day. I'm hoping that I will also get to spend eternity with some of you this morning who will make a decision, who will repent of your sins and give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ today. Father, this morning, I pray that during this time, 
that in the stillness and the quietness of this time that your Holy Spirit will speak to every heart here. You will convict those who need salvation. You will move those who need baptism. You will move those who need to be a part of a fellowship of membership. I pray that you would move people to these altars to pray and to cry out for people who they know are, are living on the edge of eternity separated from Jesus. I pray whatever we do here in this time, we would do it wisely, reverently, and worshipfully. I pray that if there are those here this morning who need to know Christ, that they will come here, allow us to take Scripture, and show them how to know Jesus. It's in His name we pray. Amen.